Today on Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan, I'm speaking with Christine Mason, founder of The Rosebud Woman, as well as an author, speaker, meditation center owner, and so many things. Hi, and thanks for joining me on this episode of Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan. I'm so excited to have today's guest, Christine Mason, joining us. Christine is a six-time founder and CEO with a deep interest in women's wellness and liberation. She's a futurist, a yogi, a tantrica, mother of four, and a grandmother. She's the author of The Invitation, Daily Love for Your Intimate Self, which I absolutely love, and we're going to talk about that today, as well as four other books. She's also the co-founder of New Earth Mandala, which is a meditation center and medicinal farm in Hawaii. She's just got so much to brag on. I'm going to stop here and just say, hi, Christine. Hi, Dr. Susan. I want to tell people I had the opportunity to meet uh, Christine on her podcast a little while ago, and I just felt like I was talking to a friend, and we'd only just met. We seem just have so much in common, so I'm so excited to get to talk to you again. Thank you. It's nice talking to you as well. Yeah, I think we're both on a mission around intimate wellness, no shame, loving your body for your whole life and all of that stuff. So yeah. So and it's so cool because we come from totally different backgrounds. And I want to get into that a little bit. But but here we are and our paths are crossing. And I actually first found out about Christine because of this product line that she makes for women. Uh, that I want to ask you about too, uh, called Rosebud Woman. So I was approached by uh, one of Christine's uh, angel helpers who uh, introduced me to this amazing uh, line of intimate products for women, which is incredible. And our patients have absolutely loved it. Uh, And I want to talk about your product line and everything else. So let's just start with that because I'm super into finding ethical work really ties together everything that we believe in, our spiritual life. And it seems like you've really nailed it with this product line. Um, It hits all of the buttons. So can you tell us about how you came up with that and then a little bit about the products? Because they're absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. I mean, I started out as a, in my life, in a very traditional masculine uh, business orientation. My, when I was very young, my mother died early and I was raised by my dad. And he was a super, if you know, the Myers-Briggs types, ISTJ, like everything was analytical and focused. And there was a specific and linear forward way of doing things. And I was very entrained in how he ran his life. And without a strong female influence, I really began my career leading with this perspective. And at the same time, I had a bunch of kids. And it took me until I was maybe in my early 30s to start inquiring into what I felt as a woman, like what would be a feminine style of leadership. And at that point, I started studying yoga and tantra and embodiment and plant medicine. And I did that all sort of in parallel as a hobby while I was running tech companies. And as I dove more and more into that inquiry, what would it mean to lead as a woman? What would it mean to design my life around my cycles? I really shifted the whole way that I thought about uh, about work and about embodiment. And, and I started as a hobby making creams in my kitchen intimate creams. I made natural lubes. I made a vulva cream. And I just loved what I was doing. My husband at the time and I uh, said we were going to make this product called Pussy Whip for soothing, (laughs) well-used vaginas and dixated for men who are going at it too hard. You could tell what kind of sex life we had. It was really great. So this had kind of been like 
humming around in the background. And I was learning to work with uh, plant medicines, Ayurvedic medicine, uh, Chinese medicine, shaman, shamanic traditions from South America, and even sort of North American, Northern European white witch traditions of what herbs were beneficial for sexual, sensual, reproductive health. And so I was making these at home and putting them in mason jars and little jars I got off Amazon and giving them to my friends. And then I got recruited to do this uh, sexual wellness device to uh, bring it to market, which was kind of part of my technical background before that. And when I saw the market data on just how deep of a need there was among women for what I considered to be uh, things that could be solved with attitude, with behavioral change and topicals, things that didn't require medical intervention or even an expensive device, I realized that what I'd been working on in the background actually fit this huge market need that wasn't being addressed. And so I got serious about it. I thought I was going to retire after I sold my last company and I couldn't do it. I just started tinkering. I did a major research project, 3000 women asking them what their intimate skincare needs were. And then I took my recipes uh, to the uh, chemist, my chemist, the best organic plant-based skincare, high-end luxe chemist in America. And he took a look at my formulas and he said they look like cookie recipes, but he could definitely work with me to perfect them and get them to market. And voila, this company was born. And yeah, it's a, it's in, a merger. Yeah. And it's, it's such an amazing journey. I love hearing about, because this kind of reminds me of my journey too. It's always fun to talk to women. And I feel this way about my own career trajectory who have sort of moved through a traditional path and then found a door to what really sings to your soul. Um, and, you know, my first career was amazing, but I don't think it really sung to my soul. And I, I love this idea of reverence that you mentioned in your book too and, and throughout your website that this isn't just about putting a product on your vagina to have vaginal intercourse with. It's so much more than that. It's really this idea of loving your whole body and treating your body with products that are not harmful and are um, beautiful and healthy and good for the world and, and the way that we're connected to the world and all of this delicious spiritual stuff that I get so excited about. So I just think it's amazing. And I love these names. I mean, I'm look at the names of these things. Honor, arouse, anoint, soothe. They even sound fabulous. So congratulations. I just think that's yeah, so you're, cool. You're, you're hitting on this other component. Like, you know how sometimes you don't even know the thread you're following in your work. Mm. And so, you know, I had been, uh, like I was saying before I had, didn't have a mom. I didn't have a lot of mentorship as far as being a woman, but I, but I was a mother and I went through all of these stages of, of, uh, bearing children, raising children, the same stuff, you know, having a period going through all of those changes without much understanding of, you know, how that, uh, fit into your life and how you were supposed to be uh, in the world doing the best you could to be a nurturer and a life giver and a life bearer and a sensual and sexual being in the context of what the world wanted. And when I finally woke up to this idea that this entire part of the body, like the whole sexual, sensual centers of your body, the pelvic basin, um, all of a woman's cycles, like it wasn't a mystery why I didn't know that. And it wasn't just that I didn't have a mother. It was that the whole culture had put that into the shadows. And so you were, I felt very alone 
in my sexuality and in my understanding of my anatomy. So when I started to make the products, I wasn't even yet aware that it was going to really develop into this idea of reintegrating the pelvic basin into body care and shedding light on sexuality and shaming and shedding light onto the whole life cycle, the beautiful life cycle of a woman's reproductive capacities and her sensual life. So it's turned into so much more than I originally intended, including the idea that this repressive nature of the culture on women's bodies showing up in the body politic around maternal health, empowerment, all kinds of other things. So it's, it's definitely evolved, but following that line has, has that, yeah, produced so much fruit. So exciting. Yeah. And in the book, uh, which I love, I'm going to remind people the name of the book is The Invitation. And Christine's written several books, but this is my favorite. The Invitation, Daily Love for Your Intimate Self. I love this quote. It's in the very beginning. Um, Ignoring women's biology reflects a long cultural legacy of downplaying females. There's a bias in culture and education, bias in medical research, and bias in the long shadow of religious and political suppression of the feminine. I mean, so much bigger than just products. I mean, um, so yes, we've got uh, books like mine, Sexually Woke, and you could have called your book Sexually Woke. It's like about waking up to who we really are in our fullest aliveness. And, you know, if a product can help us to honor that part of ourselves, I mean, I think it's amazing. And another, at the end of the same section, uh, you say secrecy leads to suffering, a suffering that doesn't have to be there, which I just, I just so optimistic. And I, I love that, that we're you know, giving women an opportunity to see, especially the second half of life as so optimistic and, you know, shedding that shame and all the ways you're doing that. So um, tell us about a little bit more about the products. And then I want to ask you about all these other incredible things that you're doing, but there's several products and I love all of them, but, you know, why did you pick those and which ones are the ones that we need to look for? And they're, and remind us where we can find them. Rosebud woman. Yeah. Thank you. So um, just on that last note, my friend Gordon has this line. He says, what you conceal takes the wheel. Hmm. So I just love that as a short snippet of how secrecy uh, works in the culture. So uh, my products, the first biggest need that we found was a intimate moisture need that women, it's not just women who've gone through menopause, who've had hormonal changes from aging, going through the natural life cycle. But also if you're on certain kinds of medication, antidepressants, things that have blood, certain blood pressure medications, if you've had cancer that um, do things to the vaginal canal and the vulvar tissue, that's really drying. And that can actually be very uncomfortable. So moisture, um, both emollient retaining moisture and additive moisture becomes an important component of intimate care. If you're not moist, another thing happens that a lot of people don't know about, and that's friction makes micro tears Mm, in the skin down there, pain, and also allows a bacteria to get into the, like the urethra and it leads to increased, um, uh, urinary tract infections, which is why, you know, you see so many UTIs and women who are going through menopause who have other dry skin issues. Right. So I wanted to make a moisturizer that was like a melt on so that it comes out of the jar as like a, a, a rich unguent. And the minute it touches the skin and warms up, it turns into an oil. And I created it in a way that you could you know, dip in like, and start on your pelvic, on, in your pelvic basin, like on the hip points, go to the outer labia, the inner labia, and then leave it on overnight. And it has all kinds of delicious herbs in it that are helpful for regenerating the skin and nothing is uh, chemi. So again, this t- 
tissue, when you, when you go past the line where the hair ends and the sort of glossy tissue begins, which is the heart's line, it's just like on the lips of your mouth. On the other side of that line, as you probably know, the skin is 10 times more absorbent, non-keratinized. So than any other skin on the body. So you don't want any chemi stuff going into that part of the body at all. So please no silicone lubes, please no uh, chemical or scented um, products down there. So the first thing is the honor everyday balm. I love it as a reclamation of the body. You go ahead and massage it on, put it on every night and just see how you feel in four or six weeks. And my guess is you'll feel uh, what I felt when I started using it every day, a sense of reconnection to your intimate self, as well as a really great feeling in the skin. Mm. And um, so that's I, my I num- want to say it does actually smell fantastic too. It's not, I don't know, it's not perfume, but what it, it smells like. No, it's rose. the actives. It's the yeah. active ingredients have their own scent because yeah. I'm not, yeah. So, so it's got a little bit of a scent, but it's not an added scent. Right. And it's also for the record edible. That's mm-hmm. how pure it is. And also I get that question now and then in the yes. FAQ. Tastes good too. Yes, I yeah, tried. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, and so there's something about what you're saying yeah. about the act of putting it on too. So like sometimes yeah. we think of intimate moisturizers, just, you know, you put it on just for the act of sex, but there's a real ceremony I'm hearing about, put, you know, putting it on, touching your body, you know, feeling your pleasure points. And this might be something you do by yourself. It's not just about um, moisturizing for the act of vaginal intercourse. It's so much more than that. And, you know, I'm really working on myself and my patients and people who want to listen to me about just redefining what sex is. It's not just that one thing. I mean, there's so much more on the menu and a lot of it can be alone. And I love you write about this in the book, which I do too, about the importance of self-exploration and self-pleasure. Reclaiming your body, I love the way you say that, is really an honoring of our body and reconnecting. Sounds amazing. Yeah, I really, I spent a lot of time when we were creating the category, people wanted to put it, call the category sexual wellness. And I kept saying intimate wellness, intimate wellness. Mm -hmm. A woman lives with her body 365 days a year, 24 seven sexuality, particularly how you think of that as transactional sexuality with another human, like is a moment in time, but you live with your body all the time. So I really wanted to bring it back to a, uh, you know, experiencing your own being. And, and also if you've had sexual trauma or you've been in a situation where your body wasn't your own, like you really experienced the sense that your body was there to please someone else. This reclamation, I, I get letters from women who say this is the first time they have really touched themselves for them or tried to feel the different parts of their body without thinking that they were doing it for something or someone else. And that it just brought them to tears. Mm. And so it's very, very healing to start exploring your body and touching yourself for you. And then if you do end up with a lover who is open to you, articulating exactly what you like, how you like to be touched, what you need, you have a vocabulary because you've experimented yourself. So I like it from that perspective also. Oh, absolutely. And that, you know, so many threads that, that you and I have in common, this, um, really important key point that we have to know ourselves first before we can really show up in an intimate relationship and know ourselves, you know, psychologically as well as physically. And this book, by the way, again, called The Invitation has the most beautiful illustrations. I'm just in love with them. I want to frame them all. So that's a whole nother topic. Um, The oeuvre, is that right? The artist? Yeah. 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 Gorgeous illustrations. So I, you know, nobody wants to read an anatomy book 
book and just these awful, boring scientific illustrations. But this book has these gorgeous, flowery, feminine diagrams and beautiful illustrations of the pelvic anatomy and other lovely things. So if you want to really get into understanding clitoral anatomy a little bit more and everything about your body, it's a, a really un what's is unscary a word? Anyway, it's a not scary way to do that. And yeah. it just kind of resonates. So it's a great way. We should all you, you, read it. You have, um, first of all, I feel like you totally get me. And the fact that you noticed the illustrations and the fact they were intertwined with like vines and flowers and things was completely deliberate. It's a subconscious message and a very overt one when you come to the art that you are nature, mm -hmm. that there is nothing about your body that isn't as beautiful as a flower, as natural as a tree, as organic as a mycelial network. You are nature. And as my teacher Thomas says, you have the right to be you have the right to become who you're meant to be. You have the right to belong. And that accepting and including this part of yourself is just part of loving nature. So mm. I put that, I wanted to make it, as you were saying, non-intimidating, but with enough detail on the parts that there was real education. We looked at a survey early on that said only something like 12% of college-age women could name their vulva. Yeah. Oh, and I, when I can't, I, I'm not surprised. I'm surprised it's not less than that. It's amazing that we're not taught anything. And it's such a gap that we need to fill in that, you know, when I'm talking to, I'm 53 and women my age don't know, maybe they can identify the visible part of the clitoris, but they really don't have any idea how to pleasure themselves or how to communicate that to another person um, and, and no real connection um, of sort of mind, body and nature, which I think is so healing. And I can't wait to go to Hawaii, by the way, to your place <laughs> that's on my list uh, where that's what, that's what, that's what you do there, I think. So we'll talk about that too. So, so that product is amazing. And then um, I, another of your products that is so exciting to me is the um, arousal one. So yeah. We'll oh, that one. So the second, I said the first biggest need women identified was moisture or dryness, the inverse of moisture. Yeah. And then the second one was lack of sensation. Mm -hmm. So if you've had sexual trauma, if you've had vaginal birth, if you've had, you know, there's a lot of reasons women don't have a lot of feeling tone in that area of the body or they're less responsive than they used to be. Um, so I wanted to create a product that was a very lightweight serum that would bring stimulation to that area. So you would notice it, feel it. I would bring blood flow. It would do some vasodilation down there so that you really got a sensation that that part was awake. And so I was making the serum and we had been playing around with a lot of different ingredients. And I was on Hawaii, as you mentioned, and I ran into a friend of mine and he said, have you tried, um, Spilanthes acmella. It's a traditional Polynesian aphrodisiac. I mean, not an aphrodisiac, but an oral hygiene and sexual stimulant for women. And it, it operates by, um, uh, like, like if you take a bite, like I bit, if you bite the head of the flower, you begin to salivate and foam. That's how much blood flow it's bringing. It, it, it stimulates salivation and it's doing the exact same thing in the inner labia. And so we decided to try it. We tested it in combination with a few other things. So when you put that on, it's uh, definitely creating like a five to six minute active buzzy feeling. And then that engorgement lasts another 15 minutes to an hour, depending on your particular anatomy. And I would say about 80% of women, the tingling and plumping that's going on down there is exactly as we're describing on the label. There's a certain percentage of women like 
10% who don't feel much of anything and 10% for whom it's too much. But for the majority of women, it's like an incredible add-on. Um, and their partners like it too. You can also use it on your actual lips of your face and creates, creates kind of like a lip plumping experience or on crow's feet, it plumps that out as well. It's doing the same general action. But yeah, I created that arouse for that reason. Yeah, there's something um, I love about what you said about just um, feeling that that area is alive. Because I hear this so often that uh, women of all ages, but you know, especially as we're getting closer to menopause and after just feel like they're uh, sexuality is dead. And I hear that all the time. I'm just, I don't feel anything. It's just dead. They've sort of lost that connection. So anything that can bring that feeling back and just remind you, okay, this is, this part of my body is alive. I can feel something. Uh, even if you're not going to engage in an intimate sexual encounter with another person, I think it's just such a wonderful way to remember, okay, it's still there. And we say in my office all the time, she's, she's not dead. She's just taking a nap and we can wake her up. So you can put this on and it will help wake her up along with all the other things that we're doing. So yeah, I would like to, I'd like to add to that, that, um, a lot of times what's happening in midlife is people are very sedentary also. So just sitting at a chair is like the, all day or something is like one of the biggest things you can do to kill your sexual uh, feeling tone because the, there's no blood flow and activity down there. So I say, 10 squats every hour during your mm. little stand up and stretch break or gyrate, you know, do full hip rotations, do figure eights with your hip, pump the perineum. Like a lot of what's happening is you're just losing blood flow and nerve endings need blood flow. You need to have like some activity in order to feel. So just staying moving. And I like the idea of like gyrating and swooping your hips around in circles more than, than I like the idea of like a lateral movements, like cycling or or running, I would like to get more like spiral motion. I'll spiral motion all the way up the spine is a mechanical way that you can stimulate blood flow. So even some, even stuff like that, Susan, it's like just not topicals. You've got topicals, you've got mechanicals, like massage and movement. And then you've got things that are psycho-emotional, just imagination. And the combination of those things is pretty amazing. So that's so interesting. So just add that ladies to your list of reasons to exercise and yeah, it's just something sexy about that rotational movement, isn't it? Like if we're thinking about belly dancers or, um, you know, hula hoop and y y different yoga moves that are sexy or um, even when you see a woman doing a sexually um, provocative dance, it always is rotational. I uh, that's very interesting. I'm going to try some more pole dancing or something or spirals, like that. Yeah. yeah. Here, I, I could I'm, I could read this whole book out, but I, I had to not do that. I love this is part of what you were saying. Another amazing quote, play in your body. Don't fret about its perceived imperfections. Go out and do stuff. Become strong and flexible and free. Be naked outside. I love that. You are a real thing. <laughs> I love that. You've got one life in this one body. I just think that's so, it's so beautiful. And we forget to do that. I, we're, you know, we're taught, at least in our generation, I was taught um, to have this body shame. And, you know, we're slowly yeah. digging ourselves out of it, but it's reinforced by culture every day when you look at TV and magazines. And so, you know, how do we help ourselves and other women to get out of this and just play? 
Well, you know, this is a beautiful thing uh, to make the movement. Okay, here I have a question for you. So do you ever feel like you're outside of yourself looking at your body? Uh, sometimes during a sexual experience, yeah, or something, uh, or a meditation experience, something uh, really, really present. Yeah, if I'm really, yeah. yeah. Or, or like, or getting ready to go somewhere and you're thinking about how you look to other people, like you're kind of, you, you sort of think about the, the way you're going to be perceived by other people and you're looking at your body shape that way, all of that stuff. And the shift I would love to see happen is that you're looking at yourself from the inside. Mm. Like you're looking at your muscles and your bones and your blood and your skin from the inside of how it feels to inhabit your own body, not the look you're going to present to others or how they might perceive you. And then things really do begin to move. Um, I was just, we just got picked up by Nordstrom. Imagine like Nordstrom having sexual wellness. Wow. And Nordstrom campaign for their intimate wellness shop is full of all body types. And, and I was looking at these women who are super, like a couple of them super generously proportioned. And I was thinking, oh my God, they're so sensual. They're so sexy. I had, you know, if I had seen that 30 years ago, I would definitely not have starved myself into a size two for a decade. Mm, and, yeah. and, and I, I mean, I was like, I love that look. That's so great. What happened? Like, how did we get so programmed into not being enough? And let me just say that the fashion will continue to change. It's big booties now. Who knows what it'll be in 10 years? But you have to be the, the, the author of your own experience of your body, independent of those outside circumstances and what people think is fashionable at any given time. That's what I was trying to get at. So that makes me think when we were, you know, when we were young, when, because I'm 53, it was fashionable to look like Twiggy, which is very masculine. I mean, it's almost a, just a denial of the feminine form. And we look at, you know, old Greek and Roman beauty was very feminine with hips and a, you know, round tummy and normal sized breasts. And, um, that's feminine. And we, you know, we lose all of our body fat. We look like a, a boy or a, a man, um, which isn't feminine. So I, I don't know if that's just part of the sort of denial of being feminine and hopefully it's coming back so that a big bottom and round tummy is fashionable again. I'm excited that Nordstrom is doing that because it is sexy to look like a woman. You know, we don't want to look like you a know, teenage I, I, boy. I think, I think too, like I want to be careful with this because for me, it was a lot of effort to try to get that body type, but there are lovely women who have that body type naturally. And it would be lovely to be able to celebrate them along a spectrum of masculine to feminine body types in a woman's body, along with on the male side, softer male bodies, all the way to hard lean male bodies. And that there's this beautiful continuum across the board for both body types. I don't want to shame body shame, skinny women with small breasts, nor do I, you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like no. they're beautiful also. Yeah. And so like, how do I, how do I get into this place where every flower in nature is beautiful and it's a valued for its own intrinsic quality. And that's where I'd like to see us get to is you're celebrated for your uniqueness and your expression. Mm, that would be a lovely place. And I, I like the idea of just not trying to be different, you know, being okay with who we are and that masculine and feminine are part of both male and female. We, we all have both and celebrating both. And that's a, yeah. I'll, I'll have to have you back to talk about that because that's a whole big topic, which would be amazing to talk about. Um, so I, I talk 
about in my book and so many people do about this idea that if you don't love yourself, you can't love anyone else. And there's, I love this, another quote from your book. The second part is that you can't receive love from others is often missed. And I, I think that's so vital because, you know, we use this idea that you can't love someone else unless you love yourself. It's almost become a cliche and, you know, there's songs about it and things like that, but I don't think we're really embodying the true meaning behind that. And um, I talk about this in my book as well, that if you perceive yourself as unlovable, then no one can love you because you're unlovable and you can't fix unlovability by having someone love you because you're not lovable. So just sort of as a deal breaker. And that's where we have to learn to love ourselves in order to be able to experience this um, type of connection. And I think when I realized that, which was unfortunately not till I was in my 40s, (laughs) it was like, oh, I get it. Like, I finally understand what that saying was about, you know? And so this this is about loving ourselves, not just uh, loving ourselves, but understanding that we're connected to everything. Yeah, this goes back to what we're talking about in the beginning about secrecy. Mm. So if I have secrets, like I think, uh, uh, well, you are saying you love me, but if you only knew X, Y, or Z, then you wouldn't love me. And so I'm not going to tell you X, Y, or Z because then I risk you leaving, but I still can't let all of your love in because I have this boundary around myself, this barrier around myself based on my own secrets. And that's what I mean about it. It's kind of poison. And so in order to really receive and believe your love for me, I have to be transparent about the way I'm living. And you know what? When you're transparent, some people will leave you because they don't share your values, but at least the people who stick around and love you, love you for your fullness of who you are. Or they might be like, I don't particularly like that behavior or that thing about you, but I love you. So I'm going to stick around while you figure it out. And so I would say the shame stuff, the secrets are the biggest barrier to feeling love from other people. And please like find someone to talk to, to let you know that what you're ashamed of is likely uh, shared by 10% of the population. It's definitely not unique to you. I can't think of almost anything that I have heard in all the years that I've been doing this work or doing like therapeutic work or doing collective trauma work that I've ever heard anyone say anything that wasn't, that they were ashamed of, that wasn't shared by a huge portion of the population. Yeah, that's so, so yeah. true. And I, uh, you and I have this amazing opportunity to have heard this from so many people and similar to the stories that I hear in my office being um, a gynecologist working in sexual medicine, I hear every day multiple stories of, of shame and, and darkness and hidden things that when they're uh, shared, just lose their power because we realize that, you know, we're not alone. And any way we can open this conversation through women's circles or these type of conversations so that women, people, men have them too. Uh, we're talking about women today, but um, so that women realize that they're not alone. And it, it just dispels this something's wrong with me myth that is so pervasive. And I think I talk about that every time I talk about anything because it's just seems to be the center of so much of our suffering. Yes. And, and on that note, like the shame isn't just about your body or your desires or anything. We have, we, I, th- I think there's a piece of how did we respond to trauma or stress in our life? What were the adaptations we did to 
get through to sort of protect ourselves. And that as we get older, we're kind of consciously aware of the fact that the adaptations we did, maybe we lied a little bit, you know, maybe we started to be overly rigid in our lives and got kind of mean, like whatever it happens to be that we adapted to live our life. Like we, there's a piece of us that knows that it's not exactly how we want to be. Uh, and we're not quite yet to the point where we've changed the behavior. And so part of no shame and growing out of shame is also like softening and having compassion for those places and adaptations that are, you know, not quite what's serving us anymore, but know that they served us at one time. And so I like the idea of evolving into our fullness with self-compassion and that that's a part of self-love. Yeah. Oh, isn't that so true, right? We can't hate ourselves into um, growing more enlightened. You know, we have to love ourselves and those parts of us that aren't, um, that Mm -hmm. were not helpful, but they were trying to help. They were doing the best they could. (laughs) <laughs> Here's, yeah, for I, sure. I, you know, yeah. I, I have I have lots of personas that I have named, and they all were trying to help, and they're not very helpful. But you, you know, we, it's it's a lot more if, effective to love them instead of to try to x them out or pretend they're not there. Um, here's huh. another cool thing that you said uh, along those same lines, and it, this ties in everything I think um, towards the end of your book. To live our fullest lives, we can't hide from anything, especially our own bodies. When things move from shadow into light and we accept ourselves and love ourselves in the places there was shame, an ease takes over us, a joy and freedom. This isn't age dependent. You can even be 53 or older. The sooner we get in touch with self-love, transparency, and self-acceptance, the richer our overall quality of life will be. It's never too late. And I just love that idea that we're, it's never too late. And I, you know, I'm experiencing that being my current age is like the best age yet. And I didn't feel that way when I was 40. I sort of wanted to be younger and I was had a lot of grief about aging and was always wishing that things were different. And there's just something amazing about um, this full acceptance of ourselves that just makes wherever you are now joyful. Um, and, you know, Isn't that something everybody deserves? I already had that is my favorite line about aging. I already had a 20-year-old body. I already had a 30-year-old body. That was really fun. I already had a 38-year-old's libido. That was really fun. I wonder what happens next. Someone was telling me the other day that I'm the first person that they've ever seen on LinkedIn who has grandmother in their bio. And I was like, hell, (laughs) hell yeah. You know, I didn't go through that process of like raising four biological children, two stepchildren, going through every like late night illness, car crash, celebration, going to every game, every horrible Suzuki violin practice, all the things it takes to raise those people into full-grown adults who know how to love and be loved, who know how to work and find their passion, who like each other, like that's a huge badge of honor. And so now at this period, this, what, what I was calling, I think the free period, you know, after your period and when your responsibilities are done, it's like, what's this period going to be about? Why would I grieve that that's gone? Because I'm right here right now. Like there are things you know, I know there's a little bit of dismissal. Like I walk down the street and I'm definitely not getting the cat calls, you know, but I, and that's like a period of life that's passed, but being a matriarch is also kick-ass and it's got its own joys. And so I feel like that's the piece. Like it's not getting, I'm not going to ever go backwards. So why bother with that? I am curious when I look at women who are 
80, 85 who are still dancing the can-can or like swimming uh, or laughing? And like, what was it that brought them to elderhood uh, with this sort of grace and light? Uh, and that's what I'm curious about now is more being inspired by that than, than being in regret about what's gone by. Yeah. And that's, that's such a beautiful idea because it is not the end of the story. That's a that's a little sentence that one of my teachers always says. It's it's not the end of the story. Like what the curiosity about what's going to unfold next is so exciting, and uh, yeah, there's age related discomforts that we can address, like vaginal dryness and um, lack of sensation, and sometimes things hurt a little bit more doing exercise than they used to. But um, there's so many things that we can do to stay mobile and stay healthy, and Moving on to what you do in Hawaii, because I want to talk to you about that. Like, tell us about your place there. And um, we were talking earlier about the fact that you can actually go there now and and have in-person um, events with people since Hawaii has been so COVID, uh, not COVID free, but much more so than the mainland. Um, it's probably a lot safer than most places. Uh, the big island of Hawaii, where we are in particular, has been incredibly diligent about keeping COVID off the island. You test before you come. You test again when you arrive. They're really strict about quarantine. And so if you're committed to keeping a place COVID-free, once you're there and you're safe in your environment, then you can interact with others in a fairly normal way, which is lovely. But I would tell you, this place in Hawaii um, was going to be a retreat center, a place where people could come and recharge, but it turned into something much bigger. It's it's both a, it's half intentional community, so people coming and living like three months, six months, a year, and trying to live with each other in a new conscious way and document the process. What if you all live together in an environment that you are committed to, awareness practice, full embodiment, relational practice, which means clear and transparent communication, nonviolent conflict resolution, like really celebrating and playing together and practicing relationally. And then in the last sort of outer circle, serving the community. And so the group that's living there now is doing this. They, they're meditating, practicing, singing together, doing all that kind of stuff while they're doing their jobs on the mainland over Zoom. And then guests come and they drop into that environment, often with specific things that they're trying to achieve, like work on their uh, relationship or work on speaking their truth or work on physical health and embodiment. And they get sort of coddled by the residents. And so I've been really enjoying the way that's unfolded, not as a retreat center, but as a place where people can learn new ways of being and take it back to their um, actual lives. Like it's not just to come and get a reset and go back to doing things the way that you were doing them, but we're really hoping to become a model for how families, communities, even businesses can run them run with transparency and spiritual and emotional intelligence. Yeah. This, uh, it's, I love this it. is, yeah. It's really transformational. I love that idea that, um, you know, when we go to a retreat or even if we go to church or whatever activity we're doing, that's nurturing our spiritual side. Like, are we, just doing it for that hour or if we don't go into yoga class or whatever that we're doing, which is great. Are we just doing it for that hour and then leaving and going back to our normal um, habitual ways? Or are we actually um, embodying this and transforming so that we can lead lives with less suffering? And I want to touch on something else that you mentioned. I talk about this too, that doing this type of thing, like if you wanted to go on a retreat or spend money on products that nurture your 
self. It's so not selfish, right? Because this is, you know, the more we can integrate ourselves and show up authentically, the more useful we can be to the world. And I just want to help women to get out of this idea that uh, I was taught, and many of us our age were taught that this kind of self-indulgence is is not acceptable and that, you know, we just are here to work and serve others. Um, but we can't serve others if we're not integrated and taking care of ourselves. It, it doesn't work. Right now on earth, if you become an island of coherence where you're calm and centered and loving, you are a contagious node of health and wellness for the entire world, particularly in a polarized, upset world where everyone takes things to the extreme and, and forgets that they're united in what we're trying to do on earth, which is to live happily together and enjoy this embodiment. Like if you can, if your activities in your life aren't making you into an island of coherence, there's a huge universe of possibility awaiting you. You taking care of you, becoming calm and centered and strong enough to face the vagaries the world offers about getting knocked off or going into fear or going into panic is the number one thing you can do to heal the world. Mm, That's beautiful. And that's just beautiful. So yes, it's not self-indulgent. And if anyone's listening to this, I hope they, I mean, that's probably the most important thing that I could ever say and that I've ever learned. So, so many things. Okay, tell me and our listeners about Tantra because I'm fascinated with Tantra and I know a little bit about it. I've done some um, work with Tantra in Italy, actually, but um, I wrote about that in my book. I think most of us, or at least I did, think of it purely as sex. And it's so much more than that. Um, And I, I know you're trained in this art. And I think it's fascinating. We know a lot about yoga, I think, now in the United States, but Tantra is sort of a mystery. Well, most yoga is actually coming out of tantric traditions. Hatha Mm -hmm. yoga is very limited um, uh, physical postures and aspects, actually, in the ancient texts. But uh, tantra itself, like, okay, I'm a little, I'm a little Mother Mary and Christ devotee, mystic Christ devotee. So I don't want you to think that you know, just because you have these tantric worldviews that you're not also able to, you know, love whatever religion of origin you come from. But the tantrics say that uh, divinity is the unified consciousness and that it splits into individuated parts. So it splits into Dr. Susan, it splits into Christine so that it can have the infinite experiences that are possible in the unique configuration of each person. So my job, as an individual is to completely enjoy my life, is to taste everything fully, is to touch everything fully, is to, is to sing with my full voice, is to meet everybody, is to experience what I experience with full presence and reflect that back to divinity. So it's only through human embodiment that you can that that consciousness knows what's possible in creation, and that's the same similar to like when you talk about the Christ coming into the body and living as a human. That's a similar model. So as a tantrika, my job is to say, how can I tune in most completely to what I'm experiencing now? And when you take that into neo tantra, which is just focusing on what is like 3% of the tantric ritual, which is sexuality, it's how do I become completely present to my partner, to my own sensation, stay present with my sensation, 
at the same time as being present with my partner. Uh, Thomas again says, how do I feel you feeling me? And that motion of being totally present begins to move energy and awareness between the two of you so that the two individual people who are having an intimate experience become one body. And in that unif and that is like the ultimate sexual experience can be with or without intercourse. But that connection is like, sometimes I've had the experience where you're looking into your partner's eyes and their pupils uh, become like the cosmos, the whole world, the whole uh, universe, the stars are visible in their pupils. You like go into a whole nother trance state. So I would say being tantrika in general is more of a philosophy and way of living. And then if you can extend that into your relationship and into your sensual or sexual experiences with a partner, it's pretty delightful. Mm. I highly recommend it. Doesn't it sound <laughs> delightful? And so if you're listening to this and thinking, okay, that's not what sex is like for me. I want to tell you that <laughs> it, it was not like that for me either. And that's why I wrote my book because I experienced this transition of having sex that was just sort of boring and certainly wasn't, um, there was no cosmos in my partner's eyes. Let's just say that. But I, I, you know, learning some of these techniques, I'm, I have experienced that same thing. And just that coming back to the sexual experience or the just, you don't have to have sex, the you know, intimate experience with another human, whomever it is, can be a portal into understanding the interconnectedness of all things. And that moment can become a real spiritual experience. And so my book talks about that too. And I think, you know, I don't want people to feel like that's a goal that they're not reaching or that their sex life is failing in any way if they're not experiencing that, but more just to have an optimism that there's so much out there and to be curious about what you could explore. And so can can you do this work at, at um, New Earth? Mandala in Hawaii? I, there, are, there are a couple of people who are who are residents there who are really experts in this. I, I mean, it's going to sound ironic on some level, but the most important thing for getting to this is sitting silently alone, like That's for right. 30 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And and I want to say that it sounds, it might sound, sound daunting on some level, but what we're really talking about is first feeling your physical sensations in your body and like allowing yourself to notice where there are dark, dark spots or places where you can't feel and trying to just drop into your own body. That's so much like what the, my practices around the anoint oil or the rep, you know, all of that stuff are related to touching and feeling your body. And then the second step is to allow all of your emotions to be felt, like really to be able to drop in and feel and not be afraid to follow a wave of emotion grief, sadness, anger. So the second thing is moving into the emotional body. And then you start getting into pranic body, like energetics. And, and so it's a subtle progression, but you can do a lot of the work just by getting quiet and trying to feel or allowing yourself to feel melting around your own experience. It's not magic. Um, but I will say it is hard for most women in a contemporary culture of doing, doing, doing to make the time for silence and just feeling. So uh, whatever ritual you can create in your life, the first 30 minutes of the day, the last hour at night, uh, that allows quiet and just feeling is the biggest movement you can make towards an enriching sensual and sexual life. You probably know all this already, but as a restatement for those who don't, silence is the path to experience. Yeah. And I um, learned that later in life too, in my 40s, how to 
sit still and um, meditate or reflect, whatever you feel comfortable calling it. And that, yeah, it's so important. And for me, and I think for many women, I had a very deep fear of sitting still and being quiet because some part of me knew that if I did that, I was going to change a lot of things. And so I think there's a point in our life when we're not ready to do that. Uh, when I started sitting still, um, I got divorced and I changed my job and I did some other things that I think I wasn't ready for until I was ready. So yeah, sometimes sitting still can feel scary because we may not want to hear what comes up from that little voice when we tune into it. I I didn't know that about you, but when I started sitting still, I got divorced and changed my job also. <laughs> so yes, please sit still. And it doesn't mean bad things will happen. Wonderful things will happen because sometimes it's the right time to get divorced and change your job. And uh, Yeah, someone told me once that no one ever, no bad marriage ever ended. Uh, no good marriage ever ended in divorce, I guess. Um, but I think I think this is important. Had I been capable of bringing my partner along, um, I think it would have been a better outcome. And so sometimes what happens is like I change and I think I have to make this one-way decision, but I don't bring my partner along in relationship and invite them into what I've just seen. And that there are a lot of, I've seen a lot of couples come um, and do work on their communication or their relationship or their own feeling uh, where one's moving faster than the other. But if you have patience, some miracles can really happen where both partners come along into this more, into this richer environment and they're born again, they're born anew together rather than being born anew separate. And that's the ideal outcome is that we don't leave anyone behind in the process. Yeah. And I, in my book, um, I was actually surprised that many of the women that I called sexually woke, who were women who had gone through some type of transformation, like we're describing, did not get divorced. In fact, most of them didn't. Now I did, and some others did, but the majority of women in that group had uh, stayed in their long-term relationship, but it had gone through a, a deep process of transformation and rebirth, like you said. So don't, uh, I hope we don't give you the idea that everybody gets divorced because they don't. Um, in fact, most of mine uh, amazing angels in my book did not. They were able to uh, make it better than ever. So uh, whatever comes out of it is good. <laughs> it's like it, nothing, you know, whatever comes out of sitting still is, is good. I mean, you know, the universe has your back. That's going to be what's yeah, for sure. uh, what's in your universe as your ally. That's something that I didn't believe until recently either. But I think that's true. So we've yes. talked, we, so I, there's so many things to talk about. And I know we're getting to the end of your time, but um, I'm going to put in the notes uh, below so people can find out where to find these amazing products, uh, Rosebud products, and then also how to connect with you through other means including your amazing place in Hawaii and uh, how to buy the invitation book and then um, all of your other books because uh, Christine's a prolific author and um, we'd like to hear about those too. But um, just I'd like to wrap up with just some final words. Like what, what do you think you would tell women who are feeling stuck and this conversation might not feel alive for them. Like this isn't something I can have. Like Susan and Christine, they, they've got something special that I don't have. I'm never going to be like that. How do we get unstuck? You know, what's, 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 what's coming to my mind actually is a little 
bit off topic, perhaps, but, you know, I was thinking about what happens to girls from zero to 12, like before you even become sexual or sensual. And there's this piece of like, what do I want? Like, what do I want to wear? What do I want to eat? Should, how should I behave? Um, who owns my body? Who owns my behavior? That we lose ourselves really early on, often in this culture. And that by the time we're 12, our ability to say yes to our desires and no to unwanted advances and you know, our yes and no is often corrupted by trying to please or be a good girl or whatever. And that somewhere inside of you is still this three-year-old, this small child with the big eyes of wonder who is born perfect, their light is shining, and they know what their yes is and they know what their no is. And to find her and bring her into whatever age you are now to the extent possible, whether you're 30 or 50 or 70, and just like let your yes and no uh, be yours. And in that is so much opportunity for pleasure, for relating, and also for a kind of clean sovereignty, not a thing where you're pushing others away, but a thing where you really know you again, uh, that I would like every woman to be reminded of the pure light and essence of their pure natural incarnation and live that. That's as much as possible. And if it feels like these, these deep experiences of sensuality aren't available to you, it's no big deal. Just be where you are and love what you can love. And um, just, yeah, that's my wish for women mm. in general. Wow. Well, that just about made me cry. But yes, start where you are and then have optimism about where you can go because you're so big and just be, be big and don't let anyone tell you that you're not. I'll just add that. Christine, so amazing to talk to you. We could do this for hours, and I think I'll have to see if you can come back so we can talk about some other amazing things that you're doing. Um, But thank you for your work and for inspiring women to live in their full aliveness. And I'm so excited to have had this opportunity to talk to you. Thanks for being here. You too. And I hope everybody's going to your house parties, to the little women, to the women's circles you're holding online, even during COVID. Amazing work you're doing. And um, thank you again. Thank you for your work and your writing. I loved your book. And yeah, we'll collaborate some more. Let's do it. Thanks for being here, Christine. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.